right, so we are in this series called He Will Be Called. Uh, Bill started the last week. We're building off, off of Isaiah 9-6, which you're going to hear this morning. Um, but as we think about names, you know, names for God, names for Jesus. You know, my first thought this morning was, was names, names for, for my kids. Um, my oldest son is named Ethan. I'll give it a second. I'm a technological genius. Whoever's playing whatever instrument over there, you might want to turn that back on later. Um, so, so my oldest son is named Ethan, and that was, you know, we we were we didn't debate long um, on that name. We didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, and and um, we we picked out a boy's name pretty quickly, and um, we we went with Ethan, and Ethan means strong and firm. Um, Morgan was a little bit more of a struggle. I mean, and Karen really got to choose Ethan's name. So when it came time and we knew we were having a girl, um, she said, Chris, I'm going to leave it up to you. You decide. And so it was down to two names, either Morgan or Allison. All right. So Morgan is born and she comes out at nine pounds, one ounce. Okay. She's like a boxer, right? Um, and I'm thinking, Allison is a quaint, you know, little girly name. My daughter is not an Allison. Um, she's a Morgan, and she has lived up to that name uh, ever since. Um, it means circling sea, which sometimes could be a whirlpool of death. Um, <laughs> or great brightness, and she is really intelligent, and I like that one better. So, But as we think about Jesus and his name, uh, Joseph and Mary, or as my daughter has some, for some reason this year decided to call them Jose and Maria, um, they didn't have to wrestle over this name, right? They, they were told, we know the story, an angel came down and told them, name your son Jesus, and the name Jesus means salvation. And God was saying to us as a world that God wants to rescue us from the worst of life. And if we're to really understand Jesus, then we need to understand all of his names, and we have to look back even 700 years before he was born. Isaiah 9, 6, which is our key verse for this entire series, um, and including for our Christmas Eve services, is, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we do every year, for some reason, um, and, and we as Christ followers are there with the rest of the world as well, we, we have to remind ourselves of the, the, the true meaning of Christmas, right? For some reason, we always go into the Christmas season, and we're like, remember, remember, remember. Remember the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, Christmas is an annual reminder to everyone that the world is not as it should be. It's a reminder to everyone that God is still redeeming and restoring this world, and it all began when he sent the Messiah, his son, Jesus it's been estimated that there are about 5,000 advertisements that we encounter every day of our lives. Um, we see them on billboards and television and, and the Internet. We even see them at, at gas pumps and, and checkout lines and even in bathroom stalls now, right? Uh, it, it's just the, all of these advertisements are projecting ideas to us about Christmas, uh, ideas that oftentimes make it less than it should be. It oftentimes is trying to remove the spiritual meaning of Christmas. This morning... Um, Bill wanted me to share um, three ways that the message of Christmas is being reduced. Number one, um, secular. Uh, it's being reduced to being just secular. If we think about the songs that we oftentimes hear in all of these advertisements and TV and movies and all this, it's, it's songs about, like, cold weather, which if you, if you grow up in Australia, makes no sense, right? Because Australia right now, it's summertime. And so they're celebrating Christmas on the beach. Have you ever, anybody seen the Wiggles, the Christmas special, Right? 
My daughter watched the Christmas. They're like on the beach in their swimming suits singing about snow, cold weather and Santa, right? Makes no sense if you take out the spiritual meaning of Christmas. Um, if, we, if we look at the songs, we take out the spiritual significance of Christmas. It's songs about snowmen and, and magical flying reindeer and some guy that's dressed in a red suit who breaks into your home. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Not only is the Christmas message being reduced to being, being secular, but it's also being reduced to be sentimental. Uh, Christmas is all about being with your friends and your family. Uh, think about it. Uh, kids come home from college. Grandparents come over. You eat a lot of food. You talk about the year, what happened. You take time off work. Um, how, how many of you are going to do something like this? Right? I mean, Karen and I, we're going to do this, I think, four or five times in one week um, over Christmas break. Right? Uh, think about the Christmas movies. Uh, somebody is trapped somewhere, and they're trying to get home to celebrate Christmas with their family. Right? Uh, they, they can't. They, plane, trains, and automobiles. Right? Was that Christmas or that Thanksgiving? Was it Thanksgiving? Forget that illustration. Um, that, one came, that wasn't in my notes. That came to me all of a sudden. Um, uh, uh, Charlie, there, there's a kid show on, on Disney um, called Good Luck Charlie. And they just did this whole Christmas special. And, and it's all about the family being separated on Christmas and trying to get home to Christmas. And we make it all about the sin's mentality of Christmas. And that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, that's a good message. But it's still a smaller message than the real message of Christmas. A third way that we oftentimes reduce the message of Christmas is we make it selfish. As children, we sit on Santa's lap and we're always asked the same two questions. Have you been good this year? And what do you want? And oftentimes we carry those questions into our adulthood to the rest of our lives. We walk around the mall and we're shopping for other people and and we're buying presents for people with money that we don't have. and, And we ask ourselves, was I good this year? Well, yeah, then what do I want, right? And we end up buying a present for ourselves as well while we're out there. Now, if Christmas is supposed to be more than just secular and sentimental and selfish, what's it supposed to be? Well, there's a fourth S, and that's sacred. To Christians around the world, the Christmas message is a sacred message. As I said before, it is God's annual reminder that the world is not as it should be. That God's redemption and restoration began in a little town called Bethlehem. It's a reminder that the kingdom of God is at hand, and it was ushered in by God himself coming as a child. So how do we increase the sacredness of Christmas? How do we remind ourselves of what Christmas is all about? Well, we begin by reminding ourselves of who Jesus is. We look to the scriptures. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Ephesians 2, verses 3 through 5. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John 3, 16 and 17 verses that are familiar to most of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week, Bill taught on Wonderful Counselor. This morning, we're teaching on the next name of God we see there in Isaiah 9, 6, Mighty God. The word mighty there in Hebrew means strength in battle. It means having the strength to prevail over the toughest of circumstances. And when we think about Jesus, I was struck by this this morning as, as I'm looking through the notes and kind of modifying some things. And I thought about, you know, Jesus being mighty in God, having the strength to prevail over the circumstances. Think about some of the circumstances that Jesus went through. He was born in a manger to an unwed mother and father. He had to flee to another country to avoid being killed by the king. He grew up in a blue-collar, working-class family that probably struggled financially his entire life. At one point, he left home. He left the, the apprenticeship with his father and, and probably just broke his father's heart. He left home to wander the land, homeless and jobless, relying on the generosity of others. He was persecuted. He was pushed. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and afflicted in, in Isaiah's writing of the coming Messiah in the future, which we know is Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And as I thought about that this morning, is this the mighty God that Jesus was supposed to be? Isaiah says he will be wonderful counselor, mighty God victorious over all of life's circumstances. And yet it looks like all of life's circumstances just beat Jesus down and see he wasn't mighty in any sense of the word. That when the people looked at him, they didn't think mighty warrior. You see that word mighty God, it focuses on his d- divine power as a warrior. The Hebrew is El Gabor. It means God the mighty champion, God the proven warrior, God our conqueror, our divine hero. And yet when we see Jesus dying on the cross and his followers are scattered, where is the mighty warrior? Where is God the conqueror? Where is our divine hero? Have you ever been in a situation where what you expected to have happen didn't happen? I mean, these people that are following Jesus, they know the prophecy, they know the Old Testament, they know who this person is supposed to be, and they have these ideas and these expectations of what he's supposed to do. And one of these is that he's supposed to be the mighty warrior that he's supposed to raise up the nation of Israel and overthrow the Roman oppression and become a military and, and political leader for the people. And yet here is their leader crucified and buried in a tomb that wasn't even his own. And they're left going, what just happened? And they go back to what they always knew. That's why That was an interesting three years. But it's not what we thought was going to happen. Where is that mighty warrior have you ever been in a situation like that? Where all of a sudden you look around and life just doesn't make sense. Where you don't have the answers. Where you, you feel like you're being tested. And you could use a mighty God about that moment. This last week, many of you know that our family and our community lost their teenage son Noah to a tragic suicide. Spent most of the week um, doing grief counseling with students and um, friends of the family. And some of the most common questions uh, were why. I mean, everybody asked that question, and, and, and the father was able to give us a possible medical explanation for that. But the, the other common question was, if God is so good, 
Why does he allow things like this to happen? Why does he allow evil and suffering? And that is a question that we have been asking as humanity for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I'm sure that Chris and Molly, his parents, didn't expect to have that happen. And they're wondering right now, even though they've gone through a week of healing and and an amazing community coming around them, both here and downstate where they live now, they're wondering where in the world is their mighty God. And one of the things that they know and that they're going to have to hold on to is that the God of Isaiah, who is called El Gabor, mighty God, conquering hero, he may not have conquered in this life, but he conquered death. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In 1 Corinthians 15.55, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, one of the ways that we know that God, Jesus, was the mighty God, the El Gabor, is that he conquered sin, that he paid the penalty for us, that he conquered death, that death has no victory over us as humanity. And that when we surrender our lives to Christ, that yes, death is painful and death is traumatic, but it is one way that God has conquered this world to give us hope. And while the message of Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, we've got to fast forward to the death of Jesus. We've got to fast forward to where Jesus rises from the tomb as mighty God. Because if we look at just his humanity, just his life here on earth, we, we would question that title, mighty God. But when we know the rest of the story, we know that he is our El Gabor. So here's the question. What's the toughest battle that you're facing right now? Is it in some relationship that's not going like you want it to go? God says, I want to give my power to your life to make a difference at that point in your life. Is it in some circumstance that's not turning out like you want it to turn out? Is it in some temptation that keeps getting the best of you? And you want to say no, but you keep saying yes. Colossians 1.11 has incredible words for us this morning. It says, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when trouble comes but you will be patient. You see, I think one of the greatest experiences of God's power is simply to be patient and to trust God. Even when the world doesn't make sense, even when circumstances don't come out like we expect them to, even when we don't have the answers and we're asking, where is our mighty God? To just be patient and trust. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to be impatient. Uh, my, my family experienced that this week with all that was going on. Um, I defined it, described it as Krabby Chris um, was at home. And I was, I, I, I was trying to be strong for everybody here, and I got home, and home was the place where I could just let down. Home was my, my castle, my kingdom, and I can just, oh, my family will forgive me, hopefully. And I, I wow. It was, it was pretty easy to be impatient with my family this week. I took them out to dinner Thursday night. Um, and just apologized to Karen and the kids. I'm like, I could have used a lot more patience with you guys this week, couldn't I? And my kids were like, (laughs) sorry, guys. But I think when God gives you the strength and the power to be patient in tough circumstance, that's an incredible power. That's the mighty God that, that God wants us to know. And God wants to give you that power, that strength this Christmas 
It wouldn't do us any good to just talk about this and say that something that happened 2,000 years ago unless we bring it into our lives today. So this morning, I want you to, to answer that question at some point today. This Christmas, I need strength to what? It might be a relationship. I've, I've got some very close family members that I'm struggling with personally, and, and I know Christmas is going to be really kind of awkward and uncomfortable, and I could use some patience this Christmas. I could use some strength from God this Christmas, and I think some of you are in the same situation. It might be a circumstance. Maybe uh, right before Christmas you, you found out you were losing your job or you were stricken with a, a major illness, and you need patience to, to get through that. You need to know that God is still a mighty God, even in the face of that. It might be something that, that you're feeling about yourself or that you're thinking about yourself. and um, you, you, know, you just need to know, you need to see yourself as God sees you this Christmas. I know I could use some extra strength this Christmas. Where do you need strength? He wants to give it to you. He is our mighty God. He is our El Gabor. Let me pray this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.